Welcome to Voices of E-Learning, reflecting the people living and breathing the future of education and online learning with your host, J.W. Marshall. Hello and welcome everyone to today's podcast episode of Voices of E-Learning. I'm your host, J.W. Marshall from MarketScale, and we are so glad that you found us today. My guest today is Matthew Daniel, Employer Solutions Principal at Guild Education. Matthew, how are you doing today? I am great. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. And we cannot be more excited to have you on uh, to share some thought leadership with us on a number of topics. But before we get started, if you could just give uh, our audience a little introduction to yourself and to Guild Education. Sure. So I am based out of Nashville, Tennessee. I work for Guild Education. What what Guild does is uh, help employers leverage uh, higher education credentials, learning opportunities uh, to drive corporate strategy. Um, that That's one way of saying it. Another way of saying it is my, my job every day is to help figure out when companies are thinking three to five years into the future, the kind of talent that they need and the problems that they have today. How do we make sure that we have a solid pipeline of talent, especially coming from inside your own organization through talent development? So um, I, I have been in learning and talent development for uh, over 15 years, and I've had the opportunity to do it in a number of different organizations, both internally and externally, uh, companies like Nike or uh, Cigna or Microsoft or a lot of different organizations. Everywhere from uh, instructional design and training is where I started my career and kind of grew through the ranks into uh, leading long-term uh, learning and talent development strategy and helping organizations think about transformation there. And so uh, when Guild uh, uh, acquired Entangled Solutions, which is where I was, uh, it was a perfect opportunity to come on board and bring the uh, experience that I have working with L&D departments think about their future and do the same and thinking about how higher ed and formal learning, credentialed learning could be pulled into that kind of marketplace to help folks uh, reskill, upskill for the future and uh, uh, all the challenges that may come with that. And there are a lot of challenges. Uh, as we know, companies that are investing in education, um, especially for frontline employees, uh, are, are winning now. They're going to keep winning in the future um, as recruiting continues to be challenging, especially for diverse talent. What advice would you give to those companies out there that are um, that haven't gotten on the bandwagon yet in investing in education for their frontline employees? Yeah, I think uh, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm thinking and talking about a lot right now. Guild has this really interesting uh, place in the universe. Uh, just from the uh, as a marketplace, we're we're on one side um, have these uh, education providers, these uh, everything from short form uh, credential all the way to long form, and it gives us the opportunity to look at. Uh, the supply side of talent and what's coming in the next few years. And then with the, the relationships that we have with large organizations, we have customers like uh, Walmart, Chipotle, uh, uh, Discover, Disney. Um, these are uh, large scale employers. And so we get to look and see what the demand is. And um, I think as employers right now are thinking about this topic, how do I leverage education? I think there's no one out there who's saying, oh, we shouldn't upskill our talent. What I don't think people are looking at is 
Right now, enrollment in higher education in that typical demographic where you get, uh, you know, kind of your um, fresh out of college campus recruiting programs, enrollment is off and and not just a little. It's pretty pretty dramatic what the numbers look like right now. Actually, let me give you a couple of those numbers because it's certainly the thing that I'm thinking about. Overall, right now, um, enrollment for freshmen is off by 13%. Overall enrollment off by 4% with undergrad. Overall black enrollment off by 8%. Uh, Latinx population, uh, 5%. It's astounding. And so I think whatever talent pipeline constraints you feel in 2020 uh, and in 2021, it pales in comparison to the talent constraints that are coming over the next two to four years as we continue to see the kind of decreasing demographics. Looks, Michael Horn, he's talked about this numerous times. There was already a, a drop-off that was coming starting in 2025 just as a result of, um, you know, a, a, a reduction in demographics post-2008 uh, recession. But, here, it, you know, I'm throwing data at you, but this is what I'm thinking about nonstop is that those traditional pipelines of talent that we have, whether it's campus recruiting or just recruiting out of other organizations, the constraint that we feel there is growing. It's it's not going to alleviate. And so I, I look at employers every single day of the week. And what I say to them is, how are you developing the talent that you already have? How are you engaging those folks? How are you retaining those folks? Because ultimately, the organizations who win over the next few years are, are the folks who have paid attention, taken their frontline talent, invested in them, developed them, especially um, because so many organizations have diverse talent in their, fr- their front lines. So, you know, being thoughtful about making investments in your frontline talent is going to yield tremendous returns over the next few years as that, that talent pipeline is further and further constrained. So that's, that's definitely what I'm thinking about and, and talking with employers about at the moment. Wow. And so uh, what I'm hearing in that is that now is the time to really take things into your own hands. Uh, you can't just expect uh, the colleges, universities, trade schools to, to crank out the, the workers that you need. You really need to be um, uh, responsible for your own people and for growing that talent pool. Is, am I hearing that correctly? Yeah. You, I, it's not just that it's the right thing to do, which I think that it is, and Business Roundtable says it is, and Fortune 100 CEOs get together and say that it is. You know, All of these organizations say it's the right thing to do, but ultimately, it is a business lever that you pull to prepare for the future, or it is one you do not pull, and you will spend time, money, and energy in recruitment. And ultimately, you will land on talent development as one of the primary solutions for this. The question is, do you decide to do that in 2020 and 2021 early in the cycle, or do you come to that conclusion in a couple of years when you're already far behind? Makes sense. Uh, you get ahead of it now, or it becomes a, a bigger and bigger problem in the future. Um Let's look first. There are a lot of places we can go with this because it's a wide-ranging uh, issue, but let's look first at the upskilling opportunities. Um, what are you seeing as, as best practices, um, either internal continued education or, um, you know, kind of micro-learning credentialing? Yeah, I, I think when we talk about upskilling, let me let me just frame this for just a second because I think we talk about upskilling and reskilling kind of in this real uh interchangeably, we use these terms. And a lot of how we talk about this at at Guild is we think about 
the jobs that are being done by upskilling. Why do you upskill? Well, number one, you upskill because you're trying to lift people into management positions. Essentially, you're just giving them incremental skills to continue on their own development journey, right? So it's a, it's especially a great fit for short form uh, education. So let's let's get a little bit better. Then you have uh, reskilling. So this is where your organization is going through some form of a transformation, a role decline, uh, and you're trying to figure out how do I position for the future with the existing talent that I have that has been impacted by now, you have a, a different role that you're expected to perform. It's similar to what you had before, but it's really, really different. I think the, the third movement is really where there are wholesale uh, uh, just talent changes. Uh, uh, we did this, you know, I was in-house at Capital One for a number of years. And we there was a moment where we looked around and said, you know, we had all these people who were in data analyst roles. We really need data scientists. And so we need to reskill this entire population to think differently. We had a whole population of business analysts and said, we've got to really imagine that um, these folks are more like product managers. They can't just crunch numbers. They really need to understand human-centered design, build out a whole new skill. Now, those are both existing kind of white-collar jobs. The, the more interesting piece to me was, uh, you know, we had hundreds of folks who were about to be displaced as a result of some automation of processes and home loan processing. And so we looked around and said, okay, what do we do with those folks? How do we take this existing talent, this uh, uh, understanding of our culture and, and obviously knowing what's important to us, how do we uh, reskill those folks and started to lean into QA coding, uh, uh, the uh, role of QA specialist for those folks to help us uh, double check code. So when we talk about um, upskilling. I think there are many different purposes that people are, are coming to upskilling. The the one classically that we always had, which was just generally like help me get better at my skills and elevate in the uh, uh, new roles. And I think or, or leadership roles. And I think those are just upskilling opportunities where short form is a great fit. Um, but ultimately, I think there are more and more places in more organizations that people are searching for long term new skills, new jobs. And, you know, JW, here's here's what keeps me up at night is I think that this is not just a one-time story, right? To, today, I can talk anecdotally about the story of what we did at Capital One a few years ago. I think the data looks like over 80 million people are expected to reskill over coming years. And so I think this is not just a, a, a once and done and we should be prepared to have it as an occasional uh, uh, activity, but I think this is more like a strike force that your organizations have to have that when you see automation coming down the pipe, you know, that integration of learning and talent development with the business so that we understand big changes and how the business is going to work and recognize when there are whole populations that are going to be displaced. And ultimately, those displaced um, populations are going to be folks who come from a more diverse background. We know that's where our diverse talent sits. So ultimately, it, it is a lever that we pull strategically in an organization to look at all the jobs that upskilling needs to do and be sure that we have a really robust pipeline. You know, when I, I was in-house L&D, we had relationships with organizations like Skillsoft or LinkedIn Learning. Those are great things to be able to pull off the shelf for, you know, a small upskilling initiative. When you're talking about rescaling wholesale uh, parts of the org, you've really got to have 
some uh, formal programs that are really structured to make sure those people are, are more successful. Um, and then I, I think we're going to talk about this in a second, but I'll just, I want to put the plug here, which is as you're reskilling them, the question that you should ask them is, am I giving them skills that will just get them into the next job, which is a really great short-term investment? Or am I actually delivering skills that are going to, going to be more durable, that are going to last into the future? And, and that's probably where I'm spending a lot of time and energy thinking. And that's a great segue into uh, my next question. And that's really part of what uh, uh, brought this conversation together was an article that you posted on LinkedIn talking about durable skills versus perishable skills. And to start, if you could just give our audience a little overview, maybe not with all the details because I want them to read the article. It's really great. Um, but but a really new kind of paradigm shift in, in thinking about uh, skill building. Sure. So, you know, uh, Burson Deloitte uh, put out a data point a few years ago about the half-life of skills. It originally came from research from Ding and, Denning and Brown. Uh, and they said the half-life of a skill is about five years. Um, and the more technical the skill, the closer that that half-life is to two and a half years. And, and I think a predominant reaction in the market, in the L&D market, has been to micro-size micro -size our content, to, to just push further and further towards short-term throwaway content um, and to focus on how to speed up the delivery of, of new skills. And I believe that's absolutely a necessary step in the journey. I was just on a phone call last week with a CLO of a large organization. She has done a phenomenal job of retooling her organization to be more agile and respond uh, to needs much more quickly and empower SMEs and the business and all those wonderful things. And that is a part of the solution is to recognize that there are lots of uh, uh, more technical skills with, with a much shorter half-life. But we took that whole question of skill durability and started to think about the ramifications of that. If all day, every day, we teach you mostly perishable skills, then we're only equipping you for the short term. Uh, think of it this way. There is the K-shaped skills economy that already existed where we invest heavier in people with what we perceive as higher level skills and we invest less. I mean, if if I asked everybody who's listening to this podcast to go into your existing learning systems and learning programs and tell me who has access to the most content, the answer is going to be your most skilled talent, your executives, your exempt populations. If you looked at your non-exempt populations, what you would find consistently over and over again is that they're limited in the kind of content they can get to. And most of the content they can get to is strictly like a, a short-term e-learning module. It doesn't allow them to apply. It doesn't allow them to really develop those skills. And then ultimately, and here, here's what's most challenging, we give them skills that that only last them a short term. All right, I so, so let me reframe just a little bit in this conversation, which is, hey, you on the front line, I know what you need to do is to be really good at using that app that's on your computer. So we're going to teach you that. I mean, in the world of SaaS cloud-based technologies, it makes sense that technologies are constantly changing over and over again. We're turning over new platforms. And because of we're just updating our process or updating our tool or updating our technology, we are in this deep skill debt of constantly just trying to keep you at level so that you can can perform your job day to day. And we do a not so good job 
of investing in you in more durable skills. I don't like the concept because I don't think that's relevant of whether it's soft or it's hard. Look, you can't do, if you have all the hard skills in the world, all the technical skills, but you can't frame up how to work with humans, it doesn't matter. If you're really good at humans, but you don't know how to use technology, it doesn't matter. So the question that I ask consistently when I'm meeting with employers is, are you making, if this were a portfolio that you were investing in for the future, are you making long-term durable investments in your talent so that they're not just performing the job in front of them, but they can also perform as you need them to come into more critical thought roles, into more communication roles, into more uh, uh, change management type focused roles, things that are constantly changing around them? Are you creating this constant skill debt where all you teach them is how to click the button or use the tool in front of them? Or are you investing in super durable skills that are going to last a, a, a lot longer? And let me just let me give some examples of what I mean by let, let's take for any of you folks out there who may be working in in uh, agile or or, or uh, have moved kind of into a more technical role, think of perishable skills as your tactical skills, tools, tech, systems, processes. Um, and, and so if I teach you how to use Slack or Jira or Salesforce or some specific code base, what I've given you is a given you as a perishable skill. It's going to last for a little while. Um, the next kind of step up is semi-durable skills. These are your knowledge-based skills, frameworks, models. Uh, in learning and development, we talked about Addy and change management, it's ADCAR. It's PMI's framework for project management. It's Scrum and Kanban. Um, and so if I can use the tool to put in a story for Agile, it's in Jira, that's a, a perishable skill. If you understand how to use Scrum or Kanban, that framework, it's a I, what we would call a semi-durable skill. It's going to last longer, but it's still not a forever kind of, of skill. When we start thinking about durable skills, we think about disposition skills, mindsets that you actually have actions and ways that you solve problems. And so in the agile world, if you understand how to identify a minimum viable product, engage your stakeholders, influence, tell stories, uh, that you know how to take really big deliverables and break them down into something smaller, that's the really durable skill in agile with Scrum or Kanban as a framework and Jira as a perishable platform that ultimately it lands in. And, and it's not that I only invest in durable skills, right? That doesn't work. If all I give you is ways of thinking, um, it, it won't help you perform your daily job. If all we do with the front line is invest in durable skills, they're not going to be able to perform what we need as a company to stay afloat. But if all I do is invest perishable skills, what I'm essentially doing is looking at my frontline talent and saying, this is where you're meant to be. This is where you will always be. And we will keep you up to date just as needed to be here. So, so we have this uh, responsibility to continue to invest in a really wide range. And, and if I think about that, workplaces have a responsibility to give durable skills as well as perishable school skills, but academic institutions also have an obligation to, do, to deliver skills that students need today to function in the workplace, those perishable skills, but also the long-term uh, frameworks and dispositions that will make them successful. So it, there's a lot more in the article, other examples about the way that we're thinking about it, but ultimately it has been a, a game changer when I talk to learning and development folks, especially when they're thinking about how they're investing in their um, 
talent now to say, yes, we should give them the short-term skills that they need, those perishable skills. But the answer is not just to keep pumping out micro throwaway content. It's also at the same time to recognize when there are opportunities to invest in durable skills so that you position your talent to not just get through whatever curve we're in right now for change, but whatever curve 2021 is going to throw at us because we all know the next 12 months are going to require a lot of flexibility from all of us. Absolutely. And so it seems uh, the, as though the current inertia, you know, carries us towards spending time and money on the perishable skills. So you've referenced that in, in the article as well. Um, how do, do organizations take a step back and make that change to think about the durable skills first and then kind of roll out a plan that's going to maybe touch on all three of these key areas versus just we've got a skill shortage, we need people to get this, you know, just in time and almost just keeping our heads above water mentality that no one plans for but often finds themselves in that situation. Yeah, I, I I think, I mean, the first thing is we've got to start talking about it. Like if we're not acknowledging that what we're doing is creating some of our own skill debt by only giving people the skills they need today, then we're just going to keep doing what we need. As I would say as an L&D professional who's been in this place for a really long time, the move over the past, uh, especially five years, has been further and further into only give people what they need to perform their job today. And so the, the question that is on my mind, and I, I don't believe this is necessarily the case, but it is a really provocative question to ask. And that is, have we essentially created our own skill shortage by only investing in people the skill that they need to do when they perform their job today? So ultimately, those part of our uh, learning and talent development programs that we have spent years trimming out and we saw as superfluous. Um, where we were through throwing those things away and saying, oh, they don't really need to get the why behind this. They don't need to be able to connect the dots to some bigger, broader concept. What we need to do is teach them how to click that button. The, I, I think we need to go back and examine some of the existing programs that we have in. And we have to say, you know what, this is going to take 15 minutes longer. This is going to take an hour longer. You know, this, this may be a day longer than what it was. Uh, you know, onboarding may last a little bit longer than what it used to. But ultimately, the, the name of the game isn't how short and quick content can be. It's how effective it is at delivering the skills that our, our employees need to be successful in the future. So I think it's not this wholesale like everybody pivot and now everything is focused on durable skills. I don't, I don't think that's going to buy us much business credibility. But ultimately, you know, there's been this question of, how does L&D become more uh, meaningful to the business? And, and the business is looking at us, our uh, executives are looking at learning and talent development and saying, deliver the skills, deliver the freaking skills that I need to be successful right now. And I think the, the biggest tragedy for us to reply with them is, is here's a five minute video about how to use that platform that we had. I think our answer has to be, here's a five minute video about how to use that platform. And what we've realized is that this is not the last time this problem is going to come up. So let us help connect the dots. I mean, this is this is the basics of good learning design already. We know this. How do we tie to what people need to know so they can be more successful in the future? So I, I don't think it's a wholesale, you know, stand up 10 new curriculum or 15 new programs in your organization. I think it's finding opportunities uh, for those who are already in the role to, to have more space to think about why they're doing it. 
And then again, I normally come back to the front line. And I think this is where higher education and credentialed learning uh, brings a lot to the table in that that form of, of semi uh, durable or, or durable skills where they are helping us rethink, think differently for the future and really carve out some time for those people after hours to say, hey, please go work on your uh, BSBA, you know, go, go get a bachelor's of science and business administration, because we know that's going to be helpful. Here's a short form credential on management and leadership that if you'll go, uh, you know, in partnership with this uh, um, higher ed partner that we have, we can make ourselves more successful for the future because we're developing durable skills. I love it. Um, and just to, to hammer it home a little bit further, could you give us a little bit of the uh, overview of the concept of the T-shaped talent and kind of what you're proposing as a, a new metaphor? Yeah. I So, so the folks at IDEO gave us this concept, I think it was Tim Brown in particular, who talked uh, quite a bit about T-shaped talent. That is, you need to have these kind of horizontal skills uh, that go uh, wide. They're, they're uh, kind of in any context, they matter. And then you have one area of deep expertise that you go develop. Uh, so that was the T-shaped, T-shaped talent is uh horizontal kind of people, fundamental skills, and then deep in one area of technical expertise. I think I, I have talked with the folks at IBM about uh, what they call E-shaped talent, right? So there's not just one form, one area of deep expertise that you, you need, but, but maybe there are three that you need. How do you develop those um, areas of deep expertise? And, and I do think those are helpful ways of thinking, but ultimately when we talked about it, what we said is, look, we're building a base, but then this thing is growing. Let's recognize that perishable skills if we think of this a bit like a tree, this is the analogy that we're using these days. If we think of this like a tree, we are developing deep, deep roots in durable skills. And this is this is what's going to keep us through every season. It's the thing that siphons in the nutrients and the water that we need to survive. We have semi-durable skills. These are the branches that are running up through the tree that send all different direction because it's not one area of expertise like find me that person who can have a deep area of expertise today i'll, I'll tell you there aren't many of them left we're all expected it doesn't matter if you're in L and D. You need to know user experience, and you need to know agile, and you need to know uh, deep technology understanding of e-learning development. And and we're expected to be that just in our roles. If we think about every role in the business, it has become a lot more versatile. And then on the ends of these branches, where we're growing, what I hope are these really big, you know, uh, 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 supports. We have these leaves and the leaves are our, our perishable skills. They come every year, they go every year. We, we grow them, they pass. We grow them, they pass. We grow them, they pass. And look, um, if we think of this, and I don't want to take the analogy too far because, you know, it, it may not stand up if you, if you go too far, but I'll just say, if I imagine this, I think of it, you know, like, what, what is this forest of skills that I have as a human being? You know, I have some places where I invest deep and it is the big, uh, I have ash trees in my yard. It is the gigantic big ash tree that is like planted and not moving no matter what. And there are other places where I don't make as much development effort. And these are the bushes and maybe they're evergreen. They stay around all year long despite the cold winter. Um, and so we end up with this really robust forest of durable, semi-durable and, and perishable skills 
where we know that it makes our talent better able to function, uh, you know, whatever the future may bring for us. And I'm going to keep going with your analogy, um, and maybe it's a stretch, but I know one of the misconceptions is that if employers invest in education for their people, especially the durable skills, what's to say they're not paying for them to then go somewhere else and another employer um, re- reap the benefits? But uh, maybe uh, the, the deep root system that uh, an employer invests in it makes that tree harder to move. What are your what's the research say or what are your thoughts on that misconception? Yeah, I mean, here's what's fascinating for us at Guild. When we look at retention rates for people who are developing themselves, and I think folks, when they think of tuition reimbursement, the the like historical context of that, it's clawbacks, right? You leave the company and we take the money back if you haven't stayed the you know two years or whatever it is. Here's what we see 12 months out from somebody completing uh, uh, or uh, in a program, our retention rate, 93% uh, of employees in guild programs compared to an employee retention rate overall of 56% on average in the in the country. So I think what we've heard for years, like leave, leave guild for a second. What we've heard is that employees... Uh, if you invest in their development, and that development doesn't mean like nobody is saying, uh, assign me more e-learning. And if you assign me more e-learning, I will absolutely stay at the company. I may be quite the opposite. I think what they're saying is if you will develop me, if you will give me opportunities and stretch projects, if you will help me develop new skills, I will stay. Right. And so companies who are thinking about, you know, what if I give them new skills? Will they go? I, I mean, is that a risk? Cert- certainly that's a risk. But the better you do of creating an environment where people are constantly stretching and growing and, and learning new things, people like challenges. They like to solve problems. They want to make the world better. None of us gets up every day, comes to work and think thinks like, let's be bored out of my mind. And that sounds like a whole lot of fun. I think people are looking for opportunities to invest in themselves. And when companies give them that opportunity, when they help them develop, you know, people, people stick around. I, uh, you know, this is not one of the questions that you've asked, but if I can take this personal for just a second about why this is all of such deep interest to me, especially these like formal education credentials. I, I grew up in, in rural Arkansas. I am the first in my entire family to ever uh, graduate from college. That's not to say the first to go to college. My mom has, I think, over 100 hours of college credits. My dad has over 100 hours of college credits. They never turn those into a credential. And ultimately, like, don't think of my parents as old, you know, uh, poor Matthew's mom and dad. They're they're great. They own their own business now. They're doing fantastic. But there have been a lot of hard days in their lives that I've watched them struggle that because they didn't have a credential, they didn't get all the way through that program, then the perception of the people around them is that they weren't deserving of I mean, my mom coded, for God's sake, and uh, uh, could not land a full software engineering job because she didn't have a college degree that said she was uh, you know, computer systems. Um, my brother is a plumber and he is 33 years old and has a broken body and wants to pivot out of um, that trade. It's a skilled trade. He makes great money in it, but he's not going to be able to sustain his life for the next 30 years with his body where it is. And he's got to figure out what skills he has that are more 
more durable, especially in a knowledge-based economy. I have another brother who's an electrician who wants to be in a leadership role, but the people around him are looking at him and saying he needs to have a degree. I, I have a sister who's a tradeswoman who she does great work and I'm so proud of my siblings and the work that they do. But what, what I have watched is consistently the people who are close to me do not have opportunities to do the things that I know they are fully capable of. There's, there's a quote that we use all of the time we talk about, which is that talent is, is uh, equally distributed, opportunity is not. And I, I think, how do we create better opportunities for the people around us? And how do we take those, those family members that we know are capable, the talent that we have in our own organizations that are fully capable, and how do we develop them? How do we give them opportunities to show us that they are fully capable of delivering on the mission and the vision of our companies in really thoughtful, creative, innovative, engaging ways? And this is it. We give them opportunities to develop the skills, to practice those skills, to become those uh, contributors to our organization. We recognize those skills with credentials and we help them uh, propel forward into a future that's much ready for them and, and much more uh, in demand of the talent that they might bring us. I love it. And we don't treat education like a one-time event, a one-time reimbursement, right? We continue to create those opportunities on an ongoing basis. And I think that's what keeps people, you know, committed to their companies. And that's what keeps companies innovating. And uh, they see talent rise up through the ranks that uh, wouldn't have if they didn't have those opportunities. That's so true. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I think... Um, here, here's the irony to me of, you know, sometimes we, we talk about, should we give these opportunities? Should companies fund this kind of development opportunity for their frontline talent? And the response is, we take these same kind of investments and we take our Ivy League grads or our preferred schools and we create campus programs. If you've ever worked in almost any large organization across the nation, they have campus recruiting programs where they take people who graduate from these really nice schools and they really put ridiculous uh, amounts of money towards them because we view those as our high potential talent. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying don't make that kind of investment. I'm saying uh, what you would find is if you made the same kind of investment in frontline talent, they'd stick around just like that high potential talent. They'd, they would come with ideas and innovation, and they would offer a lot of value to the organization if we made some investments in other places in the organization, just like we do there. Absolutely. And, and I'll wrap up here with one good news story, and I'll let you one-up me on yours if you have one. Uh, but I was recently talking with a manufacturing company that um, is investing in some automation that is going to make them more efficient and productive. And they, instead of laying off anyone, are reskilling. It's a combination maybe of upskilling and reskilling in your definition um, to now empower those, I think about 50 employees, to to manage the robots, to learn more coding, to uh, be able, on top of that. And then they're going to expand by five times the productivity and the growth of the company. And I think that's a really good example and maybe reminder that uh, the automation isn't just about uh, you know, being efficient with what you have and then reducing your, your workforce. It really is an opportunity for a lot of these companies to grow their companies exponentially faster with the people they have and the, the technology working together. 
And their point to me was, you know, these people that have been working these machines know them better than anyone. They know our business better than anyone. They love our business, and they would do anything to help it grow. And giving just a little bit of upskilling, reskilling education opportunities to them is really just completely changed the face of the company, um, even more than the automation. And and that just gets me really excited that there is a better way of thinking of this, uh, you know, future of uh, education and technology working together. Yeah, I, 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 I won't one up you. But what I will say is that story is a familiar refrain in our experience. Um, I, I won't name names, but I will, I will tell you, we are actively working projects with multiple employers who have been in places where technology automation in particular um, is potentially going to displace. And I think more and more organizations are thinking the exact thing that you just said, which is how do we retain that talent? How do we keep them engaged? And here's what's fascinating. There, there's a halo effect. Just when you make those kind of investments and you let other people know about it, engagement climbs. Uh, retention climbs. Even people who aren't in the programs themselves actually get excited about the fact that they have that kind of opportunity. So I think what the the manufacturing uh, example that you listed, we have an employer right now that we're about to expand. I I think it's something like uh, 3,000 to 3,000 there folks, uh, reskilling initiative because of potential displacement by technology, but it's for the purposes of keeping them in-house, not to send them out the door. Uh, We had an employer last year where we had the same kind of conversation where they saw the automation coming and they said, let's make a pivot and let's get these folks into skilled trades and into uh, more technology focused skills so that we can keep them in the organization and actually uh, retain that talent to do good things for us. So I think more and more organizations, as they get really thoughtful, they're coming to partners like us and saying, help us find the programs that reskill our folks. I I know there are lots of L&D professionals in-house who are working on these kinds of programs internally, but we're seeing more and more recognize, you know, where can I use an external partner to help me create this lift and opportunity for people in a way that gives them a credential so that long-term they got that personal benefit. So it's a familiar refrain and one that gives me hope and gets me excited to come to work every day and partner with employers about the opportunities they can give, uh, give their employees. There you have it. And one last note, in some situations, uh, there are some big changes can make a big impact, but oftentimes it's just getting started. What's the next right step? What's the next iteration of adding a layer of education? And uh, over 12 months, you could be adding those steps, you know, that are really going to impact you in a big way. It does, but it doesn't always have to be a, a, a huge 180 that you're doing. Am I correct in that as- assumption? Absolutely. Some some iterative upskilling is absolutely short term and delivers skills that helps people be more relevant for where they are now. So, yeah, there, there, there is a look. This is the way that I frame it is this is a multi pronged problem. And there, there are so many different types of solutions that need to come to the table. We've got to be better on the recruiting side. We've got to break down credentials as the only reason that we hire. We've got to give credentials once they hire. We've got to give short-term credentials. We've got to give long-term credentials. There is a whole, and it is a flywheel effect. The better we get at this, the more we think this way about how we reskill and upskill, 
the better we do for our people, the better we do in our business, the better we position ourselves for whatever change is coming to us through this future of work. I love it. And that is all the time we have. Matthew Daniel, thank you so much for joining us today. We will have you back on again soon. Thank you so much. And to my audience, thank you again for listening. Uh, We love your participation, your comments, your emails. Uh, Continue to interact with us. Check out some past episodes. We'll be on live again next week. And always, always keep learning.